Colossians chapter 1. I'll read the odd, and then you guys can read the even with, uh, with Randy, okay? And we're going to go through verses 1 through 8. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. Who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Thank you. You may be seated. So I was thinking about different, uh, oh, can I have you guys squeeze towards the middle, if you would, so that there's people that are here that need a seat. It makes it a lot easier for them to find a seat on that outside. So if you're here and there's space uh, between you and the aisle, if you could squeeze in uh, towards the middle, they call it the Calvary Crunch. That would be really cool. So let's see if you guys can, uh, can you know, remember these triages, okay? Um, finished my sentence, red, white, and rock, paper, earth, wind, and... So, wow, you guys are pretty good at this, man. <laughs> Breakfast, lunch, good. Now we'll get for today's study is the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. And um, faith, hope, and love. I, I love that. 1 Corinthians thirteen thirteen it says, Now abide in these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. You guys know that love is what makes a road turn around? It's pretty cool. You know, we love God because he first loved us. Romans 5.8 says he demonstrated his own unique love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so my prayer is as we gather together today that God would strengthen our faith, that God would strengthen our hope, and that God would strengthen our love. Now, I will just maybe mention a few things before we dive in. Um... I like the way in our in our text today how it mentions Paul the Apostle, it mentions this guy Timothy, and it mentions this guy Epaphras. So there's three guys. I don't know why I kind of have the OCD thing. And so you got three guys. Uh, Paul the Apostle, man, this guy was amazing, wasn't he? I mean, he really was. An Apostle with a capital A. Uh, this guy used to kill Christians. This guy had a crazy zeal for God that was manifested in ways that made absolutely no sense. But one day when he was on his road to Damascus, he was going to kill Christians, arrest Christians, persecute Christians. Jesus Christ appeared to him uh, brighter than the sun and God saved his life. And as a result of that amazing thing, how Jesus came in and decided to use him and I think in one sense, the moral of the story is this, that if God can use him the way that he did, God can use you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've gone through. And God wants to use your life 
because there are so many people hurting, struggling, dying. Uh, this uh, Yesterday I got a phone call from one of the brothers. Some of you guys know Edmund and Anna. Their, their nephew jumped off the, on the wash right here. He was on PCP and he tried to kill himself. So he broke his legs and then he had this thing with the police. And Man, thank God they, they didn't end up killing him. He could have died right there. But there's a battle going on for people and God wants to use your life. And so I love Paul the Apostle. Today God is going to use him, hopefully to strengthen us in faith, hope, and love. And then Timothy. This guy Timothy, he was just a helper. He was Paul's son in the faith. More than likely he was a scribe. Uh, writing the letter. Uh, This letter would be delivered to the Colossians along with, it was probably delivered at the same time that Philemon was written, uh, Ephesians, and in the same area, Philippians. And so we'll look at a map in just a second. But, you know, isn't it cool how God uses people like Paul? God uses people like Timothy. God uses people like Epaphras. Right here he mentions this guy Epaphras, and it's an interesting thing what he says about him. Look what it says, Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And so he's a, a fellow servant in the Greek language. It's that word uh, sundulos. It means that he was a slave with Paul. And I tell you what, when you want God to use your life, you've got to lay down your rights. Oh, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? I deserve this, that, and the other. Man, I got seniority. Hey, all that goes out the, out the window when you become a Christian. We lay down our rights. Jesus says, this is what I want you to do, then you do it. Jesus said, I want you to you know, love, I want you to preach, I want you to scrub the toilet, whatever it might be. You know, this is... Epaphras and he came and he told Paul what was going on in Colossae and next thing you know when you read the letter to the to Philemon he's arrested now with Paul wouldn't it be cool to get arrested for Christ I mean you're like no I think it kind of would be man you know you're just so bold you're just doing whatever God calls you to do and you know the enemy is so upset because he sees what a difference you're making that you get arrested there's Paul the apostle he's writing from this Roman imprisonment he's under house arrest and there is Epaphras right there with him in the book of Philippians he's called Epaphroditus same guy but now he's writing to a church that knows him and this guy right here he prayed for the church he is a sundulos, which means he was a slave with Paul in the gospel. It also says right here that he was a fellow servant and the different Greek word, fellow servant and faithful minister. And in the Greek, it's the word diakonos. It means that he was an individual willing to do the little things, willing to empty the trash, willing to scrub the toilets, willing to plug in the lights. You know, willing to do the sound. Diakonos, one who runs errands. Hey, you need water? We'll go down to Sam's Club. We'll buy water for the church. It doesn't matter what it is. God will use people like Paul. God will use people like Timothy. He was young. God will use people like Epaphras. God will use you. I pray that we would know this. You've got these three guys. You've got the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit that are mentioned here in our text. And of course we know that, you know, when you look at the scriptures and you see who God is, it's just a beautiful thing how much he loves us. And so, man, think about this. You've got the Godhead on your side. You've got the Father who loves you. 
You know, I don't know if you had a father growing up in your life that was there for you. But man, some of you did, some of you didn't. If you did, you know what I'm talking about? How awesome it is to have the one to take care of you, the one to love on you, the one to provide for you, the one to give you counsel, the one to guide you. I mean, that's our father. That's our heavenly father. Jesus said, when you pray, go ahead and call him that. Father, our father. Thank you, father. We have that. We have uh, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul talks about that. We got to make sure we know who he is. And in one sense, believe it or not, you got a brother. Now, again, I talk about this all the time, how I grew up without uh, any siblings, without a brother, without a sister. And then you guys play the violins, right? You feel sorry for me, right? I wish I had a brother. I never had one. Never wish I had a, never had one, but now I do. Not just you, because you guys are my brothers and my sisters, but I have Jesus. I have the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I have the Holy Spirit. Right there in verse 8, he talks about this love, and we're going to get into it in just a second. But we can't do this on our own strength. We can't love. Mark mentioned love, loving the unlovely. You know, and so you love those who love you. Amen? That's easy to do, right? Hey, man, this guy, he's not drama. I like hanging out with him. You know, he likes the post, just like I do. We go down and we get pizza, you know, or whatever. He likes the Raiders. That's cool. You know, those are guys that you get along with. He doesn't like the, you know, the Rams. I mean, that kind of stuff. And so what I'm saying is sometimes you got people that are easy to love, but then other times you have people that are a lot different. We're going to talk about how this really now is a test of whether or not you're really saved. You're like, hey, Manny, I got the T-shirt, Calvary Chapel Almani T-shirt. And so there you are one day, you're up in Heaven's Gate, and you're wearing the Calvary Chapel Almani T-shirt, but you never loved. You never loved. Well, I went forward and I said the prayer. You know, I used to go to church, man. I used to serve in the ministry. I was a pastor. But you never loved. I don't care if you're wearing the Calvary Chapel Almani t-shirt. God's going to pull the lever and you're going to go down. You have to love if you want to prove you're a Christian. That's what the Bible says. We're going to talk about stuff like this. The Holy Spirit will be the one. He will come into my life and he will give you the power not to eat the last slice of pumpkin pie. Because <laughs> when you love others, when you love others, you think of them before yourself. Amen? So let's look at this right here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren who are in Christ, who are in Colossae. And so Paul is writing it. Timothy, more than likely, is the scribe. He's writing to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, so they're saved in Colossae. And it's interesting, you know, sometimes people, they don't understand what is a saint. A saint is just someone who's set apart because you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Now God sees no sin. You are set apart. You're not like the world. You're different. So all people who are saved are saints. You don't have to go get canonized. You don't have to do that. You are saints. The moment you place your faith in Christ, we got St. Randy and St. Serena and St. Twan and you name it. You don't pray to them. No, there's no such thing. 
there's only two types of people in the world. There are the saints and there are the ain'ts. Either you know the Lord or you don't. So in one sense, I think he's writing to the church. He's writing to all the, the Christians. But then he mentions the faithful brethren to the saints and the faithful brothers. The faithful brothers. Now, I don't know. Some might say it's synonymous, that it's the same thing. He's not really, you know, it's just kind of like, you know, but, but others say, no, there's a dichotomy now. He's make, doing something different now. You know, the saints and the faithful brothers. Because you guys probably know this because it really is, it's that way in life. It's that way in church. You got those who are, they just show up. They're, they're not really, you know, faithful. You know, there are some, they're all in. They're all in. And there are some, they just, uh, they're there kind of, sort of, on the outskirts. And they're still saved by the skin of their teeth. And when they die, you know, they're going to go to heaven. But I'll bet you almost anything, they're at the beam of seed. According to 1 John 2, 28, they will have regrets because they had reserves, because they didn't go full bore in their walk with God. And so I don't know if there's a dichotomy there, but I know he's writing to the saints and the faithful brethren. Maybe it's the leaders who are there in Colossae. And then this typical greeting, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's typical in one sense, but um, it's, it's not because grace is so huge. He'll talk about it later. That's us being blessed with the good things that we don't deserve. God has not only shown us mercy and not giving us hell. When you're a Christian, he gives you heaven, even though we don't deserve it. So it would be the typical Greek greeting, grace. And then in one sense, peace was a typical Hebrew reading, a greeting, which is shalom. And that's what always happens, you guys. I mean, I don't know where you're at today in your life. I don't know if you're anxious or worried or frustrated or, you know, you don't have peace. If you don't have peace, it's because you haven't understood the grace of God, how good he is to us and how his plans for you. I mean, and I know you might be wondering and you're thinking, well, God is late and I just, he's just really not showing up. But man, it's all, it's all coming down to his will and his timing as you simply follow him. All I know is this, that I thank God for his grace in my life. I think I'm getting a little bit of an understanding of it. I, I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. I can't earn it. I try. I, I try to be perfect, but I slip and, and, and fumble and you know I turn the ball over. But the, at the end of the day, I know that his grace, Paul says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And it has given me peace. I thank God that I, you know, I have that peace. Not just a piece of peace, but that perfect peace. And so right here, that's what Paul is. He's, yeah, it's a typical greeting, but man, he's praying it. Grace to you. Peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 3, he says, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. You know, as he's writing to this church, uh, the Colossian church is about 100 miles east of Ephesus. I think we have a map here I want to show you real quick. So this is the big picture. There's Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. 
A lot of people will go to Ephesus. That's the big city. Paul founded a church there. He was in the Ephesus for three years. And you can read about it in the book of Acts uh, chapter 19. But while he was there, he started a school. He was there. They called it the school of Tyrannus. He was there for two years, just teaching the word every single day. And the Bible says that the word of God spread. And so from there, all of Asia heard the word. And it's so cool. When God gets a hold of an individual, they teach the word. People who are sitting, they hear the word, and then they go. And they go, and they teach the word, and God honors that. That's how churches are planted. And so that's exactly what happened. This guy Epaphras, Epaphroditus, he was sitting under Paul's teaching there in Ephesus, and then he traveled 100 miles to Colossae. If you were to go 100 miles east of Los Angeles, you'd go to Palm Springs. So it's about that distance. If you were to go north, it'd be Santa Barbara. Anyways, that's the distance he travels. At one time, it was a significant city because of the trade route that went from there all the way to uh, the river Euphrates. But eventually, because of the other city that was built uh, up higher, uh, Laodicea, they then kind of like did a different freeway. Colossae ended up kind of like dwindling. Uh, Laodicea became a bigger city. But the interesting thing is, is after Paul wrote this letter, three years later, there was a major earthquake and the city was destroyed. And so this is a significant letter. Paul's writing to them because basically what had happened is that he was like, wow, wow, it's so amazing, this church. He's grateful for them. He prays for them. But he's also warning them. You're a Christian. You receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I want you to know that Jesus is enough. As a matter of fact, look at chapter 2, verse 10. He says, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You know, Ephesians, in one sense, it talks about the body of Christ. Colossians, in one sense, it talks about the head. When we first started the church and we did a home study there on Lexington Avenue, this was the very first book that we taught, the book of Colossians, because they told me, if you're going to start a church, you should start read a, uh, teach a book that exalts Christ. And that's what the book of Colossians will do. And my prayer, because it'll take us about three months to go through it, is that you guys start reading it and studying it, man, and just letting it soak in. Because as you're reading the book of Colossians, you're going to be blessed with understanding that you are complete in Christ. Did I tell you guys about William Randolph Hearst? No? Okay. Um, William Randolph Hearst, how many of you guys have been to Hearst Castle? Okay, so that's up there in San Simeon. My wife and I went there on our honeymoon. Although we enjoyed it, we'd never been back. But it was a really nice place. If you were to, uh, seriously, it's there, there on the one, oh, the, scene is ama- the, the scenic view is amazing, stunning. But anyways, if you were to build that castle today, it would cost somewhere around $700 million. It's a beautiful place. You should go visit it. You can check out the different things there. Um, this family, William Randolph Hearst, they made their money primarily through newspapers and things like that. But anyways, today the family is worth uh, $20 billion. So this guy has a lot of money. He died in 1951. But um, anyways, this guy collected art from all over the world. Uh, How many of you guys like art? Do you guys like art? Picassos, Rembrandts, those kind of things. 
I do. Um, and so he's an art collector. One day he was reading about this one uh, art piece of art and he sends his guys to Europe. He says, man, I want this for my collection. I want this, uh, you know, to put up on my walls. And so the guys go to Europe, but they can't find it. They search everywhere. They can't find it until finally they come and they tell William Randolph Hearst, they say, you can't buy it. And he's like, what do you mean I can't buy it? How much do they want for it? They said, you can't buy it because you already own it. <laughs> it's in your warehouse, dude. You've got to take it up and put it on your wall. And, and I think in one sense, this is what happens to us as Christians. We, we have Christ. He is enough. But for some reason, we start looking elsewhere, looking for more asceticism, Judaism, legalism, mysticism. They, they started telling these guys, hey, you should start praying to angels. Why would you pray to angels when you got Jesus? You know, it's one thing for them to tell you, you know, you're not enough. Like, I'll I'll be the first to admit I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not eloquent enough. I'm not wise enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not good looking enough. Nothing about me is enough. I'll be the first to admit that. But when you start telling me that Jesus isn't enough, now that changes everything because we got to know he is. You are complete in him and that grace that grace that amazing grace i pray that it would give us peace you know maybe you're here today and you're not a christian you know you've never really given your life to christ you know that's why you're here you know my prayer is that you would make a decision today to follow christ to know that he loves you he died for you he rose again you know, sometimes people, they come to church and they think, well, I'm really not going to serve the Lord because I got to straighten out my life first. You know, I got to kind of take care of this or maybe change this about me. You, you can't change this about you. Only the Lord can. You got to come to him, come to him, run to him. He loves you. He'll forgive you. Some of you here, you need a new start, but you got to take a step of faith. You know, when Jesus, you know, he, he told the blind man when he put the, the, the mud on his eye with some spittle and all of that, he said, go wash. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. You know, and the blind man could have said, what are you talking about? Why don't you just heal my eyes? You do it. But, but Jesus said, no, you have your part. There's something that you have to do as well. When church is over today, don't just leave. You have your part. Don't go backward. Go forward. Make a decision. Say a prayer. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, give me a new beginning. I need power. I need strength. I need to know that I am complete in you. I need to know that I'm accepted in the beloved. You know, right here, as Paul is writing to these guys, it's so cool to see what happened there you know, we're looking for the whatever, the art all over the world, when in all reality, we already have it. You know, Paul here, he's grateful for the church. Again, in verse 3, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. You know, and again, Colossians, the church of Colossae, they weren't a perfect church. Um, they had their challenges. Have you guys ever gone uh, to a perfect church? I'm just curious there's no such thing huh there's no such thing as a perfect church but you know every church has their challenges every flock has their flaws so you have a choice you can be critical some of you guys are like that you're just by nature you're critical huh 
I mean, that's the first thing you see is like the typos on the lyrics up here, right? <laughs> you're over here trying to worship and you're like, oh man, you know? <laughs> Some people are critical. Paul here, even though the church had its challenges, even though the flock was flawed, he was grateful, not critical. And not only was he prayer grateful, he says, we give thanks to God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, but we are prayerful. We're always praying for you. I love that. I love that about this guy. I, I have some friends. There's a few of them, that are just a handful of friends that they always see the good in people. And I trip out and I sometimes I'll watch them in different situations and I'll be like, oh man, that's the last straw. You know, that one is probably going to sever that relationship right there. But these people, they're different and hopefully we end up being people like that where rather than focusing on the negative, they focus on the positive and they see the good in people. That, that's kind of what Paul is doing. I, I'm, I'm grateful, not critical. I'm grateful and I'm prayerful. And, he, and he's just always praying. Next week, Lord willing, we'll get into the content of his prayer. It's a beautiful prayer that he prays for them. But then we get into the triage in verse four. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you. And so he's grateful for their faith. Now faith, I don't know, you guys, what is faith? Uh, faith is believing, right? You, you put your faith in Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Uh, that's a good synonym to believe, to put your confidence in Christ, uh, your reliance or dependence upon him. You know, this is what saves us. Paul was so grateful. Sometimes you meet people or you hear about people. Like, like if someone was to talk about you, all of a sudden your ears got, got excited. Would they talk about your faith? I love the fact that when they came, Paul said, man, I'm so blessed. I heard about your faith, man. Not, not just some intellectual ascent in your brain, you know, checking it off. I believe in Jesus. You know, some, I wonder. I, I wonder. Some people, I don't know. I'm just a man. Second Timothy 2.19 says, the Lord knows those who are his. Some of those people who say they're his, they're not his because it's just belief in the brain. It's not faith. Faith is what saves us. Faith is different than just checking a list or believing in the brain or saying a prayer. Faith is different. You know, in, in one sense, faith is belief in the heart. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen, if you believe in your heart in the Lord Jesus Christ, you wouldn't treat your wife that way. The Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's a lot of people, I think, unfortunately, they think they're saved and, and they're not because they have belief in their brain but not in their heart. You know, the other day I was not praying, I was just talking to the Lord and I was like, Lord, thank you that I don't do drugs anymore or get high anymore or just the, the drinking, you know, whatever, the sexual sins, those types of things, they're gone. You're not, you don't have those addictions. But some people are addicted to other things. And those sins have dominion over them. 
you know, addicted to arguing. Well, how can you say you're addicted to arguing? Because you do it every day. Just like you used to drink every day. You do that every day. You're addicted to unforgiveness every single day of your life. Hatred, bitterness, you name it. I mean, there are things where you you wonder, man, Lord, are they really saved? I have to examine my life, my own life. Am I really saved? Yeah, Manny, you're not doing nitrous oxide anymore. You're not whatever the crazy things I used to do. But, But maybe it's different now. We have to be really careful. We have to make sure that it's not just brain belief, but it's belief in the heart, that it's true trust, total trust. It's faith. Not merely in his existence, but in his preeminence. Not just, well, Jesus has a place in history, but, you know, in him is my sufficiency. You know, the Colossians were being tempted to add to their faith. Paul was grateful that they had faith. You know, we have to, you know, just know, you guys, that when we have faith, Paul here he mentions something important. Again, look at verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. So again, and again, not to be weird or anything because none of us are perfect, right? None of us are going to be perfect. But if somebody was talking about you, if they were talking about you, would love be anywhere near their lips? If not, it's crazy because that is the sign of salvation. I'm grateful for your faith and, yeah, your love. Not for some of the saints, but for all of the saints. And we know, of course, that this love is what proves we're saved. 1 John 3.14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. I love the way that John is just straight out. You read his epistle. He says, I don't care what you say. If you don't love your brother, you're not saved. That's heavy. Because some people are feeling it. They're like, I feel saved. There's probably going to be a lot of people who felt, uh, they felt something but they didn't have love. 1 John 4, 7, 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. How can we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we're saved? I got the t-shirt, the bumper sticker. Hey, I got the tattoo. That's got to count for something, right? Religion, profession, no. Faith is going to be manifested in the fruit of the Spirit, which is love. And so I just want to, in love, I want to challenge you guys. Okay, Lord, I, I mean, maybe you're here and you have an inner witness and you know what the gospel and you believe, but you have, even maybe looking at your own life, you're like, man, I haven't really been loving God the way that I should because I know the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If I love God, I'll obey God. But if I love God, I'll also love my neighbor. That's the second commandment. And you have not been loving your neighbor. Your neighbor. And so I was talking to one of the guys afterwards. I said, just start with, if it's not going to just flow, start with small things. How do I love my wife? How do I love her? 
chocolate. I mean, it's pretty, pretty. No, the Lord will show you. They'll show you. You got to start doing things around the house or you got to spend time with her. You got to read with her. You got to pray with her. I mean, for everyone, it, it's different. I don't know what your love language is, but man, you better prove it. You better prove it. It's interesting to me that when Jesus spoke to the religious leaders of the day, there's a couple of scriptures you might want to write down. Luke 11:42, John 5:42. Those are really uh, crazy scriptures because he says, I know you guys. Jesus says, I know you Pharisees. You don't have the love of God inside of you. And yet here they are doing all these religious things. See, this is huge. It's important for us to make sure that we have fruit. Look what Jesus said in, in Matthew 7. And I, and I know you're familiar with this verse, but to me, it, it's life-changing because I have to prove it. He says, Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Wolves, you will know them, how? By their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? You guys like figs? I think we have a picture of a fig right there. Doesn't it make you want to eat one right now? You know, but then you got the thistles and, you know, I don't care. Like, you know, you say, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a fig tree, I'm a fig tree, I'm a fig tree, but you have no fruit. But this is what you look like, the, the, the thistles. It doesn't matter what you say. See, so the, the proof is in, in the pudding, the, the love that we have. That's how we need to live. Paul here says, I'm grateful because, you know, I, I'm not left wondering whether or not you're really save Epaphras came and he told me that there was a genuine work of God going on in the city of Colossae there was a genuine sincere eternal everlasting saving work that is going on in you and the reason that we know it is because of your love your love that is the sign and so he was grateful for them now i know it's challenging you know, you see that person, usually you run the other way. They call you, you don't answer, you know, stuff like that. I know, but remember that saying, to live above with saints we love, oh, will be such glory, but to live below with saints we know, now that's a different story, right? But this is where it happens. I mean, again, I'm not saying you gotta, you know, invite them over for dinner every single day, but maybe one day you will. I don't know how it's going to work between you and the Lord. He'll show you those things. But they say that you love God, the, the amount the, 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 the amount or extent in which you love God is based on the person you love the least. That's how much you love God. So these are things that we've got to check in our hearts. Hopefully it comes to a place where we love everybody just like God does. Nowadays, I know it's not too popular. Most people will tell you, you know, get that you know, oxygen mask on yourself first or whatever. If there's only one slice of pumpkin pie, just take care of yourself and eat it. You know, you snooze, you lose. That's what they would say, right? You remember the magazines? Even the magazines, we can see it in the magazines. First, there was Life magazine. Any of you guys remember Life 
Magazine. That sounds pretty cool, Life Magazine. Eventually, that got changed to People Magazine. So Life, People. And then it was Us Magazine. Now, you know what it is? It's Self Magazine. Any of you guys ever read that magazine? It's called Self Magazine. It came out in 1979. Eventually, there's going to be Me Magazine, right? Because... You know, we, we have to learn to love, which is to unconditionally, sacrificially seek someone else's highest good, expecting nothing in return. That's how we love people. That's how I have to love my wife. That's how I have to love my kids. Sometimes I look at my kids and I'm like, no, you know, they got to, you know, they got to submit. You know, they got to uh, respect. You know, they have to, you know, just fall in line. And, and, and God says, you know, you do too. <laughs> you got to love them. You have to make sure you have that in your heart. Paul here was grateful. He, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in, in heaven. Now it's interesting how he words verse five, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. It almost makes it seem like because they, they have this hope uh, of heaven that it was like fuel to their faith that it was like, you know, this hope of of heaven was like, it deepened their love. And I think there is some truth to that. You know, when you know, and for us as Christians at the end of the day, it's not just heaven. It's your, your whole future. Your whole future is good because of God. Now, you don't got to be perfect. You don't have to know spiritual, you know, physics or astrophysics from a spiritual realm. All you have to do is simply be sincere in following God and you watch the way he has this amazing future for your life. And that's what hope is. Hope is, I believe, not just a certain certainty. I'm not just wishful thinking, me crossing my fingers or knocking on wood. It is a certain certainty about the future, a confident expectation and anticipation of good. You know, C.S. Lewis actually defined hope as a continual looking forward to the eternal world. And so the, the hope that they had, it fueled their faith, it deepened their love. This is why us as Christians, it's good to think of heaven sometimes. Not, not that we're escapists, but I do look forward to the day I'm going to see my dad again. All your loved ones in Christ. I mean, we're going to see Christ. Think about that. I'll be able to run again. I'm still praying. Maybe I should get a surgery. I don't know, but I haven't been able to run. In heaven, I'll run and I'll beat you. (laughs) In heaven, I'll be able to smell again because I lost my smell after COVID and so I'm going to smell the coffee. Um, In heaven, no more sin. No more suffering, no more sickness, no more struggle, no much, you know, these crazy things that are going on in the world today. You know, but you know what? It's just for a season. It's just for a season. You know, for us, what is 70, 80, 90 years compared to eternity? The Bible says your life is like a vapor. 
So we have this hope of heaven. Warren Wiersbe said, it's not just a destination, it's a motivation worthy of contemplation. So it's cool when we're Christians because God strengthens us in our faith, God strengthens us in our love, and God strengthens us, hopefully, in our hope, which is what we read right here, you know, because of the hope which is laid up for, for you in heaven. And if you're here and you're, you know, you're, you're worried about your future, you're here, you're worried about your children's future, you're here, you know, you're worried about whatever, the, the business, the church, what's going to happen tomorrow, next year, how are you going to get by? You know, you're a Christian, you're God's son. You're God's little girl. You're God's daughter. Listen, don't you think he's going to take care of you? You don't have to worry. You don't have to be anxious. You don't have to wonder if God is for me, who can be against me? So we have this hope, a certain certainty about the future, which is an anchor that it keeps us on track with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in his book, Winning Life's Toughest Battles, Psychologist Julius Siegel wrote about the 25,000 American soldiers who were held by the Japanese in the POW camps during World War II. He said they were forced to exist under inhumane conditions and many of them died. Others, however, survived and eventually returned home. He said there was no reason to believe that there was an overall difference in the stamina between the two groups of soldiers The survivors, however, were different, he said, in one major respect, that they confidently expected to be released someday. They just knew. They were there in humane conditions, suffering every single day, but no one could take the hope away from them. They were confident about their future. They knew they would be released one day. And so he said, they talked about the kinds of homes they would have the jobs they would choose. They even described the kind of person they would eventually marry. They drew pictures on the walls to illustrate their dreams. Some even found ways to study subjects related to the kind of career they would one day pursue when they were free. See, that hope for a, a future that is good is strong. And I pray that you would never let the enemy, the world, the flesh, take any of that hope away. You know, Dale Carnegie, he said, most of the important things in the world have been accomplished by people who have kept on trying when there seemed to be no hope at all. Again, talking to a person the other day, you know, I just met this guy, never knew him, but he came up and we we're talking and he's just telling me about his marriage and how it's just falling apart and she doesn't want to hear it. And yet God is now working in his life and you can tell that God is doing something in him. And, and, and so, you know, my, 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 my counsel is don't, don't lose hope. This is worth fighting for because God hates divorce. Not only does God hate divorce, God wants our marriages to thrive, not just survive. And so we have to have this hope. Paul here, again, back in Colossians, and we'll finish up. You know how you can know where Colossians is 
chips after Philippians. Girls eat popcorn. That's how I figured that one out. Okay, there it is. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you, as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you. It's kind of cool because even before the internet and technology, how the gospel went out throughout the entire Roman Empire. He says right there, it's bringing forth fruit, in your life, just as it is in the rest of the world, since the day you heard and knew, and that word knew, it means to um, experience personally. You knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned, we talked about him earlier, from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. And that word spirit as a capital S in most Bibles, and it's in reference to the Holy Spirit. And so this is how we can love. And I like the way he brings it back to that. And so, you know, today, you know, we're, we talk about love. We talk about, you know, how God wants us to, you know, treat others and put them before ourselves. And that is the sign of salvation. But you're never going to be able to do that unless you first understand God's love for you. And so as we close today and as we enter into the Christmas season, it's very cool to think about the fact, isn't it amazing that God gave his son? That in one sense, I mean, I don't, you know, that's his son. That's his, you know, that's his most precious son. He gave his son to us. And so have you guys ever gotten, well, I don't know, I probably shouldn't say this, it's probably too early in the season, but you know how you give gifts to people for Christmas? Do you guys do that? All right. And then usually when you give a gift to, to them, don't you expect them to give a gift to you? <laughs> I'm just curious. Don't you usually? Like, okay, I gave you one. As a matter of fact, you give it a few days early. <laughs> it gives them time. <laughs> God gave you his son. Have you given him your heart? Have you? Have you really? I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about church. I'm not talking about going through the motions. I'm talking about giving him your heart. If you haven't, I pray that you would today.